welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 292, Government and Wild Turkeys, with Joel Peterson. And I am your co-host and the guy who bought a new grill this past weekend and is dying to cook something on it already. And I'm your co-host and the guy who is researching how to set up his bow for archery fall turkey hunting. Hmm. So what kind of grill did you get? I bought a pit boss pellet grill. Stepping in high cotton, huh? Well, my Weber gas grill so I had a, a Weber Genesis for years and watched as the years went by, it slowly rust away and fall to pieces. Even with the grill cover on it for the majority of the past, I don't know, seven years, eight years that I've had the grill. You know, I'm, I'm not knocking Weber, but my thought process on grills has changed because mm. I could have spent... 250 or $300 on just a no-name grill. Yeah. Let it wear completely out in three years or four years. Throw it away and go buy another one. I could have done that and I believe come out cheaper and gotten more years out of my grill than I did that Weber. Hmm. Because be. every year, all, after about year two, every year I've had to spend about $100 on grates, burner covers, burners, you know, it's just been one thing after another after another with the grill. And then when the door to the cart that the grill sat on rusted off and fell off, and I looked inside, and the bottom shelf of the cart, the inside of the cart, had rusted out and was about, I don't know, 40% gone. Mm. I thought, okay, I can buy a new cart, or I can just go get a grill. So... The old Weber is getting retired. Very nice. Sounds like it served admirably. Went through a lot in its life. Yeah. It's been a good grill. Well, hopefully the new one pays off. I've heard good things about those pellet grills for sure. Well, I'm looking forward to cooking something on it. I just have not gotten a chance. Been too busy. Had too much going on. But that will change soon. So where are you going on a fall archery hunt? Wherever the gobblers blow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm going to find them. I don't know where, but I, I discovered if I can figure out how to kill these suckers with a bow, 
I could pursue the wild turkey gobbler from about September 1st until February 1st. So that's expanding my season quite a bit. That means I'd be able to hunt turkeys more more months than not. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So the only issue I've always had with archery is I just I'm not a good enough shot with a bow to feel confident shooting at a gobbler and hitting him in the vitals. And so I've made the decision I don't really want to do it just because it mars them to high heck, but I'm going to shoot it at the head and use one of these big broadheads that kills them if you hit them in the head because I either want to hit him and kill him dead as a hammer or I want to miss. Mm-hmm. So I found a broadhead online. It's got a big blade on it, and the guy even demonstrates that if it hit them in the feathers because of those long blades, like, yeah, it'll probably bruise him, but like the bird will be completely fine. So I'm just going to rig up my bow drop back the draw strength on it you know poundage down make it easy to draw and i'm just gonna shoot and if i hit him in the head he's either gonna be stone dead or i'm gonna miss and he'll be fine i just i read too many stories of people losing birds with a bow and i just can't i i just i know i'm not good enough to shoot at a gobbler body shoot him and recover him i'm also colorblind so i'm not gonna be able to blood trail him so yeah I just, I, I need to either hit him in the head or go home. So, <laughs> yeah. And I know that, you know, but if you look at it, the head and neck of a gobbler is probably about the same size, if not bigger than the vitals of a wild turkey. I mean, their heart, lung area, I mean, it's pretty small. Hmm. That's just a thought I had because, I mean, and you don't have like an aiming point on a turkey, at least for me. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I think, is a good bit easier with a deer. Yeah, you you know, right behind the front shoulder. So, I don't know. It's just a thought I came up with where I'm like, you know, if I shot a gobbler and mortally wounded him and never recovered him, I'd feel pretty low down. So, I'm just going to shoot at his head, and he's either 100% dead or he's 100% alive. (laughs) There's no in-between when you hit him in the neck with a gobbler guillotine thing. Right. So that's well, my cool. won't make for a pretty picture, but hopefully I'll have plenty of pictures to take of you know spineless gobblers. Yeah. Well, you know, you could always put the gobbler's rear end towards the camera, fanny mount that way, and take yeah. a picture with you smiling with his rear end facing the camera. Yeah. Well, I mean, your over the knee picture. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Over the knee picture, you could just leave the neck dangling. I mean, the head might not get completely severed, but. I just think that's the most humane way to shoot one with a bow, in my opinion. So that's what I'm going to do. Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to going along on some of those hunts with you virtually. I hope so. I hope I, hope I can figure it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try to learn it. I think fall hunting is an art to it. A lot of woodsmanship, being able to find turkeys. I think if I can learn to find turkeys better in the fall, I'll learn to find turkeys easier in the spring. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so speaking of turkeys, we got a good show for everybody this week. We do. The the politicking behind turkeys. You know, I just can't think of a better time to talk politics than right now with all we have going on in this world. Yeah, this is the time to do it. Everybody's really honed in on the politics right now. It's an election year. Yes. There's... Some things going on in the country. Yes. And all the while, there are still people in Washington, D.C. working. Yep. Supposed to be, at least. Supposed to be. 
and they are not only working on the big things that we all care about that get so much press, but they work on a lot of the smaller things that we should care about that don't get much press. And so today we've got Joel Peterson on the show, and this is an interview that I recorded in Nashville in February. And Joel is the Director of Government Affairs at the National Wild Turkey Federation. This is his job to represent the NWTF in Washington and to also stay in the know with all the goings-on, with all of the politics that affect the wild turkey and our national forests, our national parks, and Joel does a really good job with this. I'm telling you, when he came and he sat down with me, I think the first thing out of his mouth was, what in the world are we going to talk about for 30 minutes? (laughs) And I said to him, don't worry about it, Joel. I got this. And I think about 40 minutes later, I kind of felt sorry for him because I was wearing him out. I had questions. I had a lot of questions still that I didn't get to ask him. But I wanted to keep the interview somewhat brief because, you know, we're there at the NWTF, at the convention, and he's very busy. And so I didn't want to take up all of his time. But I've got Joel for you guys today. This is some good stuff. Now, I would say that some of this is a little bit dated, but the truth of the matter is with this legislation that we're talking about in the interview, this stuff takes months and months and months, if not years, to get done, which you'll hear Joel talk a little bit about. And so if there's something that you hear in this interview that you think, oh, this would be good, this is something I can get behind and we need to push this, I need to get on the phone with my congressman, with my senator, and let my voice be heard, then do it. I'm not going to say anything else right now. Let's jump in, listen to Joel, and Cameron and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey guys, I've got Joel Peterson with the NWTF with me now, and Joel is the Director of Government Affairs with NWTF, and we're going to talk about something that we all need to be concerned with and I think that you know a lot of us hunters get wrapped up in our own little world and either don't know or maybe we don't want to know all of the things that are going on in DC that affect or can affect what we love to do and that is to hunt, to fish, to trap, to be outdoors, to have the opportunity to enjoy the lands that are our lands that the government has set aside for us, but some parties and some organizations don't want us to have access to to do the things that we like to do. And so I wanted to get Joel on and talk a little bit about that with us today. So Joel, thank you for taking time out of the show. I know it's a busy time for you guys here at the NWTF. Yeah, it is. And I'm glad to be here, though. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on and chat with us and, and educate us a little bit more. So thank you for that. So I guess let's start, probably the easiest thing to do is start with the 30,000-foot view. Where are we as hunters in the world of politics or legislation? I mean, are, are 
I think it's safe to say just politically in this country it's about split 50-50. Yeah. Are you seeing that what we enjoy doing, that the people that are for it, the proponents and the opponents of it are about 50-50 as well? Or you think maybe it's not quite that much? Uh, what do you think? So, so it's interesting. I, I do a lot of work with federal government affairs in Washington, D.C. And while we see in the news how partisan it is and how difficult it is to get any of the I would say the big stuff passed. You know, talking health care, tax reform, those things are really contentious. Yeah. But it's it's really been surprising and pleasing to see how when we talk about the conservation space that there's really been a good bipartisan effort and we've had a number of good wins over the last couple of years that are moving things forward for hunters and for conservation and and for the opportunity to recruit new hunters into the fold and and all of those things so while there is definitely a split i think that that conservation space is still one that is bipartisan and we have the opportunity and we're and we're seeing things get done there that's great. I thought and still kind of think nothing is getting done in D.C., yeah. but, you know, I guess when you're dealing with specific agencies, you don't get as much of that bickering and arguing within the agency as you do between the branches of our government, yeah. Senate, sure. House, and right. the presidency. So, but we still like with the Farm Bill, and you and I were talking about that before I started recording, mm -hmm. we still have to have those branches get along well enough to be able to pass something like the farm bill so right. that's yeah. encouraging and, and, to hear and you say that yeah, the Farm Bill, is, you know, it's its a huge piece of legislation. As we heard uh, Secretary Perdue talk on stage today, it's not just a Farm Bill, but it's a conservation bill, and it's a nutrition bill, and it's everything right. else. Yeah. And so it, that's disadvantages and, ad, it, and an advantage to us when we're trying to pass one because there's something in this huge bill for everybody out there in society. Uh, and we are fortunate that through the work of conservation organizations, the NWTF and our partners in Congress, they get that the conservation is a big part of this. It gets frustrating sometimes because SNAP, for example, the food stamps yeah. is included in the farm bill. Yeah. It gets really contentious. And so we always hear the talk about, well, let's pull it out. Let's pull the conservation side out and let them argue over that. Unfortunately, I don't think we can do that. As important as conservation is to us, when you're talking to these elected officials, many of them who do not hunt, do yeah. not fish, and becoming from more and more urbanized areas, our issues really struggle to carry the day and move on their own. And so it's important that it's coupled together. But uh, the Farm Bill was passed in 2018. It was probably one of the best ones we've ever had passed for conservation. Uh, we bumped up that spending levels in the conservation title and in the forestry title to levels where we had seen in a long time. The CRP program, Conservation Reserve for example, that program went from a 23 million acre cap where it was uh, at the end of 2018 to by the end of this farm bill in five years we'll be able to enroll 27 million acres into CRP again. And so there's some great successes in there. It's um, amazingly 
the process is slow. Government works slow, right? Yeah. So yeah. we are just now, a, a year later, starting to see the rules come out about how they're going to implement this and the the enrollments and all that. So it's a frustratingly slow process to get it rolling, but there was a lot of changes in this one, and so the agencies have got to get it right. The, the frustrating part for me is that within the next year, the conservation community is going to start getting together again and talking about what do we need to do for the next for the one? Next it's, one. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a long, arduous process, and we talk for three to four years about what we need to get done, and then we spend a couple of years trying to get it done. And at the time it gets done on these bills that recur like this, you know, we got to start over again. Yeah. So, so job security in a way, I guess, but yeah. not one that I like. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt, and and with the political environment the way that it is you don't ever know what it's going to be like next go round so that's got to be a little bit of frustration for you yeah, there yeah that that's right i mean like i said right now there's good bipartisanship on the, the conservation issues uh, and certainly this administration has been a huge friend to conservation right. uh, what the department of the interior has been doing uh, just with their access uh, programs they opened up something like 1.7 million acres to either expanded opportunities or new access on national wildlife refuges across the country in the yeah. last year. That's a huge That's lick for us. Uh, it ties directly to what we're doing with NWTF through Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt, and wanting to open up areas to get more people out there. So it's been a great opportunity there. They're dedicated to it. In fact, just this week, they put out another call to the community, to the conservation community, but even broader than that. Hey, we, we've taken one whack at this. Tell us where we need to do more. So they're actually wow. looking for input from the public right now to see where they can do more. And in addition to opening it, they've streamlined the regulations on those wildlife refuges so that they're more aligned with the state Thank agency you. regulations. Yeah. So, you know, if you're if you're duck hunting on a refuge and state land right next door, you can carry the same number of shells. Uh, you know, there there used to be some nonsensical regulations out there that if you're on a wildlife refuge, you can't have more than 15 shells on you at any one time. Yeah, you know, things like that. That just we're a real barrier to folks, and so I, I think that's a great example there. The the Department of Ag, who we work with a lot, which includes the Natural Resources Conservation Service and the U.S. Forest Service, the things that they've been doing to to try to get more work done on the ground more quickly through providing tools and for e easing the, the process that they have to go through for their environmental reviews. Still adhering to everything that they need to do, but trying to streamline those processes and really change the culture within that agency that they will go step by step and check the box, can we do it the easiest way through yeah. what's called a categorical exclusion on this and move on, something that takes a few months, or are we going to have to do a full environmental impact statement, which right now takes them four to five years to get done? And there's reasons they have to do those, but the culture in that agency over the years, in some cases, has become, uh, we're probably going to get litigated, so let's just jump right in and do the EIS and take off. So we really applaud the agencies for trying to do some things like that that will really help not only sportsmen, but for us creating the habitat so that we've got the game out there that we want to enjoy as sportsmen. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty neat. So before I recorded, you and I were talking about the Farm Bill, and it's a five-year 
plan. Yep. So every five years you're back negotiating this. Just your personal opinion, and you may say, nope, not giving it, it doesn't <laughs> matter, period, end of story. Is that something that you would like to see that was not five years and maybe it was eight years or ten years? Or do you think that's too long of a period of time because of the way because it is so encompassing and I think a lot of us common citizens that aren't involved in in governmental affairs as much as you are don't understand exactly how all encompassing that farm bill is because it's what Secretary Purdue said. I mean it is yeah. farm, it's conservation, it's you know, welfare. Yep. Right. I mean, that, what are your yeah, thoughts on so, that? That's got to be frustrating <laughs> to have five years and you spend four out of those five talking about the next one. Yeah, it, certainly for, from that aspect it is. Just speaking to that from the conservation standpoint, hunters know because they're out there in the field, conditions change. What yeah. you need to do changes. And if you have a farm bill like that, and so when we talk about what the farm bill does, the biggest thing that that does is it sends money to private landowners through programs to take care of conservation needs on their properties. And so it, it's trying to be responsive to the needs of the private landowners as well as to the needs of the resources. If we stretch this out to eight or ten years, we lose a lot of that responsiveness. So while as somebody that works in it and, and tries to get the language crafted so it'll be the most beneficial, it is a challenge to have to start thinking about the next one before the first one is fully yeah. implemented. But I think we'd lose the responsiveness that we have if tried to stretch it out yeah. to be longer. Yeah. So I would imagine it helps too with the fact that the NWTF is so involved along with its conservation partners and the other organizations like yeah. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation mm -hmm. and Quill Unlimited or Pheasants Unlimited or for yep. what, Pheasants Forever. Pheasants Forever, yeah. So that's that's got to be beneficial as as well, and you know the so I'm I'm sure that a lot of our legislators know that you're going to be that the NWTF is going to be in contact with them and actively involved in getting this at least conservation part of that bill crafted and put together. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely, and and you know it's interesting that you mentioned the other groups. Um, Sometimes people think that we're in competition with each other, and yeah. you know, in some ways, you know, I guess when it comes to the fundraising, maybe sort of, but I don't really see it inside the organization. And certainly, when it comes to conservation policy, uh, we don't always see eye to eye on things. We don't all have the same priorities, right. but our overall priority of good conservation is there. Yeah. And so NWTF has been a member of a, a consortium of these groups that we call the American Wildlife Conservation Partners since it was started 20 years ago. And in a nutshell, what that group does is we get together on a regular basis and we talk about the issues that are important to our organizations. And NWTF is looked to as a leader in forestry related issues because turkeys depend on trees and yeah. so that's an area that we've really focused on we try to learn from ducks about what the water issues are and where we can be supportive and so yeah. we lend each other support but we work off of each other's strengths and we agree to disagree but we don't try to undermine what the other groups need and so yeah. it's been a great way to have good communication but also bring the power of the sportsman's voices that these 45 organizations together can bring you know hundreds of thousands or millions of supporters behind a letter that we send or the talks that we give uh, as opposed to the NWTF just coming forward with, with our 230,000 voices behind that. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. So you touched on a, a few of the great things that are happening within our federal government, and that being the National Wildlife Refuges being open, yep. offering that additional access. The probably, and a lot of people have said this, the best farm bill that we've had in quite some time, if not ever. Yep. Are there any other big wins that we've had recently or that you see? Or, yeah. you know, I know you don't want to curse it by saying it out loud, <laughs> yeah. but you know, might be within the next 12 months coming coming down the pipe. Well, I've learned to never predict what Congress might do, but I mean, with, I can see that. Yeah, but yeah, I think there are some opportunities here. I, I'll touch on a couple of the the big wins that we've had over the the last couple of years. So, as I said, we we work a lot with the Forest Service, our biggest partner. Uh, so we've focused a lot on policy related to to them and their ability to do their job. Back in March of 2018 in the omnibus budget bill, mm-hmm. well, there was a, a, a piece of legislation that was included in that that the community calls the fire funding fix. So in a nutshell, what had been happening for 20 years, the cost of fighting wildfires by the Forest Service was increasing more and more and more every year. And the agency had to budget for that every year. So over two decades, the amount of money that they had to fund to firefighting continued to increase where their overall budget was staying relatively flat so all the other things that the agency wants to do and that we want them to do was going down and so it was putting a real crunch on there so NWTF number of the groups that I've mentioned as well as organizations like the Nature Conservancy and the Conservation Fund we all got together and advocated strongly for a fix and so what happened with that and the reason I'm talking about it now is it just took effect with the 2020 budget that capped for the Forest Service they have to take the 2015 amount that they budgeted and that's all for the next 10 years that they have to budget for firefighting and Congress created a disaster fund that they can have access to to pay for those fires costs above and beyond that average and that allows then the Forest Service to to as we move forward to lock in that they don't have to budget for growing yeah. so they can put more into some of the other areas. Yeah. So or that's what a, they're supposed to be doing. Correct. Because because be because what what's hurt has been things like forest management, infrastructure, taking care of the roads that get us out there on the forests, uh, the recreation programs. If you spend any time at all on national forests, you know a lot of the campgrounds have been shut yeah. down over the last five to ten years. Yeah. It's all it, it's all tied back to this fire funding. And so we, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, you know, just as an example of how it's been affected, over the last 20 years, the fire part of the budget and the staffing for fire has increased by about 135%, while when we talk about the, the staffing for forest management, for foresters, and even the people that do the contracts and review that and uh, do the inspections, and all, all those things that they have to do to do it, it's gone down by about 54%. So the capacity yeah. has gotten really out of whack. So that's an area that we're talking about now. Okay, we, we've solved part of this. We're not having to continue to budget more and more for fire. But now we've got to tell the story and make sure that Congress understands that we still need to bump up these budgets and help the Forest Service restore what they lost over the last couple of decades. And I think that's an area that people are starting to understand. So I th- I don't know that we'll get that done in 12 months because yeah. that's going to take a budget and we're already well into the 2021 budget. It right. was just introduced by the president this week. So we're starting to focus on the 2022 budget. So we're looking a year out, but I think there's progress to be made there on that one. 
Yeah. Another huge win that we've had for the state wildlife agencies and the NWTF because of our R3 efforts, the recruitment, retention, and reactivation of hunters, uh, was after several years of working on this, we finally got what we, the short name was the Pittman-Robertson Modernization Act. Yeah. And that was just passed here at the end of the year. It, again, with the spending bill, this was a, something that was bipartisan that because of several years of work and educating the legislators about it, they got it and they understood the need for it. So they just attached it onto a spending bill. Uh, that's how a lot of this stuff gets done, unfortunately. Uh, our stuff in particular doesn't necessarily have enough to, to move on its own. Yeah. But if we can do the education, it can get attached to other things. But So to give a little history on the Pittman-Robertson Act, I think this crowd is probably pretty familiar. But the short, the short history of the Pittman-Robertson Act is that in 1937, hunters in this case, sportsmen, and the firearms industry all got together and said, we have a crisis for wildlife. We need to figure out how to fund this. And so hunters and the sporting manufacturing community got together and basically said, Congress, put a tax on us. We want to pay for this. So the firearms and the ammunition that we buy now are taxed at uh, generally about a 13% rate. And that money goes into, it's held in trust by the Fish and Wildlife Service, but it's doled back out to the states to do the conservation work on the ground, hunter education sort of things. And that's doled back out to the states based upon the number of hunting licenses they have, land mass, general population, formula that dictates how that comes back out. Right. And that's been great. That's a primary means of funding conservation over the years. In 1937, Nobody thought ever that we'd be facing a shortage of hunters and shooters. And so nobody thought about the fact that... All right, that is all that we've got for you guys for the free portion of this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. If you would like to hear the rest of the interview with Joel Peterson with the NWTF, then you can do that in one of two ways. Cameron, tell them about way number one. Option A, if you are more interested in this episode and you are wanting to hear the rest of this interview to hear about what's happening in the politic world of turkey hunting, you can purchase this one episode. You can get the whole rest of this premium content. You get to hear the rest of this interview and you get to hear Andy and I talk about it afterwards. So to do that, it's going to cost you 99 cents. You're going to go to our website, IamTurkeyHunting.com, and you're going to look for this episode number followed by PS. That stands for Premium Single. You're going to purchase that episode, and you'll be able to hear the rest of the premium content from this single episode. But the much better option, in my opinion, is what Andy's about to tell you about. And that is to become a premium subscriber to the Turkey Hunter podcast. And you can do that by texting the word Turkey Hunter. Make it one word with no spaces and text that to the number 44222. After you do that, I'm going to email you a link that you can click on and create your username and password for the Podbean application and pay the $18 per year subscription fee for the Turkey Hunter podcast. Your 18 bucks will get you 
not only the rest of this week's interview with Joel, but it will get you the premium content for all of our past episodes, as well as the premium content for the next 52 weeks. So there's about, oh, three years and two months worth of premium content that is locked up under the premium subscription for our past episodes. And you're going to open up the premium content for the episodes that are coming up over the next 52 weeks. That is a bunch of content that you're going to have access to for 18 measly U.S. dollars. I think it's well worth it. I do too. What'd you think? I don't know. It's something I don't think about, I guess, enough is the legislative part of our conservation of this bird. And that's a big deal. I mean, that's a huge deal. (laughs) Yeah. You just kind of, I don't know. I guess I just kind of think, you know, public land's out there and I can go show up whenever I want. It's going to look the way it does and hope it's nice. There's a lot more goes into it than that. And hopefully with him up there fighting for us and then you got, I mean, I think they're about to open up another 2 million acres or something on refuges in addition to the 1.2 million from last fall. So we're getting some expanded opportunities for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I'm I'm definitely appreciative of anyone who will go fight the legislative battle for the wild turkey because I Ooh. can imagine that's probably not the easiest of jobs. <laughs> no. I can't no. imagine anything legislative's easy, but I'm sure he's having to talk to a lot of people. And it's not just the wild turkey. I mean, they're fighting for lots of conservation, but a lot of those people just don't have the viewpoint of a outdoorsman hunter. So I'm sure that can get kind of tough. Yeah. Well, you know, you heard him say when we were talking that the farm bill pretty much takes about five years to get done. Yeah. And that as soon as the ink dries on one, they're working on the next one. And that, that blows my mind. Yeah, I can't. That, that is unreal. I mean, there's just... I don't know. That was a great interview. That, that really was. A, I can't believe he didn't think he'd have enough to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> he has plenty to talk about. You know, I think that probably where he was coming from primarily with that comment is, you know, how is this going to be interesting? Yeah. And for those of us who are just rabid about turkeys, it's interesting. Yeah, I could see, you know, this type interview may not be as appealing to all listeners you know especially newcomers to turkey hunting things like that but people who really are into it and are really worried about the conservation around the country they're going to enjoy a conversation like this it's kind of eye-opening and you get to hear insight into what's happening that you don't usually get to hear so yeah yeah i think it went well i appreciate the nwtf i think they're i think they're doing good work for us i hope they continue and i'm glad Someone else is doing that job. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, yes, we're indeed. postponing the call of the week tip, right, until January. January, when we'll get the next one. But we do have a little bit of housekeeping, and that is our two finalists for the owl hooting contest have got to be like, come on, man. <laughs> Quit dragging us out. They don't even know who they are, so... <laughs> <laughs> so... Preston Pittman, we have a time scheduled with him, with Cameron's schedule and my schedule and Preston's schedule. It was very difficult to work out a time to get all of us together for this week, but 
it will happen next week. And we are going to not only announce the winner of the Owl Hooting Contest, finally, but we're going to interview Preston while we've got him on the phone. Can't pass up that opportunity. That's That dude is always, always a good interview. I mean, if, if you can't glean some information that'll make you a better turkey hunter from Preston Pittman, well, we need to have you on the show. So email Andy at IamTurkeyHunting.com if you can't learn something from Preston Pittman because <laughs> we'll interview you next week. So I'm looking forward to talking to Preston. I chatted with him for probably 20 minutes when I set up our day and time to get together. And, you know, it is good to catch up with him. Good to catch up with him. So that'll well, be a good one. Yeah. I'm excited to see who we pick for the Owl Hoot winner. Yeah. I'm always pumped to talk to Preston. I pretty much missed out on 95% of the conversation last time. So hopefully I'll get to actually talk to him a good bit this time. Ready to hear how his turkey season went. Yeah. Yep. We'll get an update on that, of course, and see what kind of other goodies what kind of other nuggets he has for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's all we got for today. How about a favor of the week? Do you have one or you want me to give one or ask for one? Mm. My favor of the week this week is if you're listening to the podcast, which if you're hearing my words right now, you are. <laughs> think of one person who likes to turkey hunt and likes listening to podcasts or has long drives or something at work, tell them about us. That's my favorite of the week. Tell one person and hopefully you're helping them become a better turkey hunter. And in return, they'll probably take you to the best private land turkey hunting spots on earth. That's all I can promise you. So just go tell one person about us that you think needs to hear it and thinks we'll enjoy what we're putting out here. We work really hard on this and I hope you guys are sharing the message because it makes it better on all of us. The more listeners we get, the better it's going to be, I think. Very good. So there's my favorite of the week. And I'm just storing up calling tips for January. Oh, man. They're going to be coming at you rapid fire. Cameron's going to have a whole book of calling <laughs> tips. <laughs> Woo. We can We can put your book out there and sell it. There you go. Camo's calling tips of the week. I like it. All right. Well, good, man. been good chatting with you as always, Andy. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And looking forward to circling back around with you and doing a little planning for 2021 turkey season. Yeah, you even mentioned specific states. So I know what the remainder of my month is going to look like. Map scouting. <laughs> Map scouting. I know you hate it. There won't be a rock left unturned. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I absolutely believe that. You've seen my Google Earth files. Man, I think I, it's crazy. I, I, um, I would question anyone except you. <laughs> You've witnessed it, though. I have. Anyway. I have. <laughs> Very good. So, hey, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, 
and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.